This is the Maxiao Leadership Podcast. So there are measures of, of performance, and what we wanted to get at was, in shorthand, what we call leadership style. But the reason it was coming up is because, as you can imagine, there are organizations based on their size and where they are and what's going on that are at very different places. We have seen a tendency among exceptional leaders to have a dominant particular kind of style, which becomes more pronounced and successful over time. And it could be there's a dominant and a secondary, but the flip side is never true, which is. Welcome to the Maxiao Leadership Podcast. My guest today is an exceptional leader and author, Robert Jordan, author with uh, Olivia of the book, Right Leader, Right Time. Good afternoon, Robert. As we start the conversation, would you mind telling us a bit about yourself? Thank you. So uh, my formative years, I was in magazine publishing. I dropped out of business school. Uh, my fellow students thought it was crazy. I started the first magazine in the world that covered online and internet. I did that for about 10 years and then sold the magazine to a big publisher. The, the subtext is any mistake you can make in your business, I was in my 20s, and any mistake you can make in business, I guarantee you I made it at least once, um, but survived and eventually thrived because you know we all know the internet came around and it put me on the Inc. 500 list for fastest growing businesses in the US. So I did that. Um, Selling was not an event like, gee, I'm going to go retire. And, uh, you know, the Zen expression, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Yes. Somewhat magically, uh, an acquaintance told me what he did for a living right around the same point when I was selling. And he had this weird job title, interim CEO. And uh, I didn't know what that was. Uh, but what he said is, is that he would kind of parachute in with venture funding in early stage companies. And that blew me away. And then he handed me his card and his card said CEO of Yahoo. And because I was in the online industry, even though it was small, you know, we all knew that these, these first directories were going to go public on zero revenue, not zero earnings, but zero revenue. It was a real kind of sea change in the world. So that energized me. I, I said to uh, this person, you're, whether you like it or not, you're now my mentor. And um, I came home. I had seen him in Silicon Valley and I bought the domain names, interimceo.com and interimcfo.com, hung out a shingle and started doing projects with companies. Uh, did that for a number of years. Then social networks came around, decided that I was really interested how many people in the world were doing leadership gigs like me. And so we formed an organization that eventually became interim execs, which somebody could look up and, and see now. It's a global kind of matchmaking uh, capability uh, organizations, both for-profit and non-profits with remarkable C-suite leaders, CEOs, CFOs, CIOs. Great. That, that's uh, really, really impressive. You know, you're talking about the uh, 
your 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 contact that you met right at that particular time and i was having a conversation recently about sponsors and people who open doors to us and uh it's very important to be attentive to to all these avenues and really seize on those those opportunities and go get them actually yeah i i, I think anybody well i i would just say for myself everybody that i've ever met who has been successful you will you you'll hear this series of events in their life you'll hear about setbacks but you'll hear about these miraculous occurrences and they generally around are around people who show up and support them encourage them you know where the epiphanies occur and i'm i'm right at the head of my list for that in terms of you know uh having had a series of of mentors uh, show up at the right time. Excellent. Now we're going to talk about the book in a moment, but you know something a book that I recommend everybody reading. And uh, I listened to the audio book, which was great material, by the way. And um, there was one sequence, unfortunately, that got cut. That was when one of your guests asked you about your family background. So that got me curious, and I thought I'm going to ask Bob about his family background, because I believe that for everyone, there's some event that happened to us in, during our upbringing, generally around nine years old, that define who we become and who we are now. So what would you say that event will be for you? I feel like a test I'm about to fail. You're you're reminding me of something in the audio version that I've totally spaced on. <laughs> it just just for your listeners to know, and I, I appreciate this, Max. That so the 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 book that we authored, Right Leader, Right Time, the um, uh, audio version has four hours of bonus material. We went back into recording studios with uh, we interviewed a lot of leaders for the book, these various leadership styles, and we went back into recording studios with eight of them. Uh, these four styles we label fixer, artist, builder, strategist. And so we had two remarkable fixers, two remarkable artists, two remarkable strategists, two remarkable builders. So did I say something specific in, in that <laughs> instance, or can I just generalize here? No, it was just uh, it stopped before you were able to give any of the answers. Oh, I see. Well, well, I, I will tell you that um, I think for a lot of uh, folks who grow up and, and uh, uh, attain leadership roles, their fathers um, are a primary influence. In my case, uh, it's my mother, um, which may be a little bit more uh, rare, but my mom was one of the first advertising executives in Chicago. Uh, have this wonderful picture of her looking at blueprints in front of a building going up uh, the prime shopping district in Chicago, and it's all guys with her and uh uh she was she was my am the uh the shot of ambitious i got absolutely no i've got uh you know a lot, lot of steel from my mom as well in uh what i do professionally uh you know their stamina is just uh remarkable moms that is um now this podcast is about leadership and it's about and for corporate leaders and entrepreneurs who want to grow in their leadership skills, what is your definition of leadership? Well, for purposes, we have a very basic uh, definition of leadership, which is responsibility for one or more people in an organization. And the reason it's that basic is because we also have developed 
in the process of developing a leadership assessment tool. And so the literal part of it for us is if you've got responsibility for another person, a client, um, a project, um, you are you are showing leadership. Now I want to hear your definition of leadership, Max. My definition of leadership is around what I think is at the heart of leadership. Now you're talking about responsible for one or more people, because I think leadership is about influencing others in taking action. And uh, that's how I define leadership. It's all about influence. It's it's how you get others to take action towards a common goal. And uh, every and I developed this notion of self-empowerment leadership because I think it all starts with the leader. And um, they are what I call to the two pillars around the self-empowerment leadership uh, framework that I developed, which is responsibility and commitment to service. Uh, that, that's it for me at the art of leadership. I've heard you say that before, and I, I agree with you. I do. Absolutely not. Thank you. So how did your interest for leadership started? Oh, boy, that's a great question. I, I think um, it's interesting. I've talked with folks about this, about whether we are hardwired uh, for this or more becomes environmental over time. I noticed early on, though, for me, like I'd be playing with other kids when I was young and I was the one like, let's go build a go-kart and and assigning kids, you know, to, to go do various tasks. And there was a point when I was was fairly young, five, six, seven years old, and I realized like I'm directing everyone's work. I didn't use the word directing in my head, but it just struck me as pretty cool that that, you know, everybody was was building something together. Yeah, it's true that it started very early. I, I agree with you. I, I, I think there's some natural inclination to leadership because leadership is a set of skills. But because it's skills, I believe everybody can learn to become a great leader. Uh, and it's about self-awareness and uh, putting the light on where we really need to develop as a leader which really takes me to, to the book uh, that you wrote because you, you, you wrote about a framework, you tried to build a framework around leadership. Can you tell us a bit about the genesis of the book? How, how did the idea came about and how, 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 did, it, uh, how did you bring it to, to reality? We developed a, a leadership framework around four different styles or kinds of energy. Style is... Um, we, there, there are components around your process, your approach. And for successful leaders, even somewhat of a system that they have. And we gave these four labels, fixer, artist, builder, and strategist. And the way that this came about is because uh, my co-author and I have a day job running a company called Interim Execs. And in that organization, 7,000 executives from 50 countries had approached us. Well, as you can imagine, you... You need to get organized when when that when that's occurring, uh, and so we develop ranking and scoring and screening in the process of developing this ability to be a matchmaker in the world. And we saw two patterns. One was not so good, kind of disturbing, and that was that the majority of leaders approaching us were having careers and leadership journeys we would have described as okay or average, but not better than that. 
the flip side was that among the top two, three, four percent, we would describe those people as exceptional. And among exceptional leaders, we saw these one of these four different leadership styles as being dominant. In some cases, a dominant in the secondary. But they were not exhibiting the trait we saw in the majority of leaders, which was too much of a tendency to be all things to all people. And, and that was something that compelled us to write. We thought there was a message that should get out to the world, especially for people earlier in their careers, early in their, their leadership journeys, um, cautionary, which is do not attempt to be all things to all people. And that's easy to say and very hard to do early in career. Because early in career, you need the money, you need the status, you, you, you need the job. And so there's a tendency to try to do too much. Right. But what we observed over time was that exceptional leaders, the more accomplished they become, tended to reject more of what was not for their highest and best use. Right. And that was something fundamental that we really feel compelled to get out as, as a message to the world, whether someone reads the book or not. Well, that's very interesting. I'll come back to that. But first, I want to return to something you said earlier. You talked about leadership styles. C can you expand a bit more on that? What do you mean by styles? Because if the FABs framework is really focusing on style, what what, what do you mean by style and what, what other component of leadership should we be aware of? As opposed so the, to it's, it's a great question, and these these other related um, traits come up, which is which is do you have an approach or a process or a system to the way that you work? Uh, one of the things that it inspired us is, you know, there's a particular descriptor for the way we each work intuitively that's called conative, C-O-N-A-T-I-V-E, conative, and we're fans of, of a profile called Colby, K-O-L-B-E. And the founder of that, Kathy Colby, we thought really hit on something, which was the instinctive and intuitive way we each approach work. So that was, that was a big inspiration for us um, and something to look at and something that people could analyze for themselves. Um, I'm, Max, I'm sure you're aware, you know, that this whole idea of psychometrics or of of, of analyzing ourselves at work began about a hundred years ago. And that was simply with, you know, what, what became the IQ test, you know, test of raw intelligence. And that's not a very good way to measure fit or performance at work. Not, not very, not very indicative at all. And so, you know, there were intelligence tests and then personality tests came along and, and somewhat useful, but also not exactly on the market. So, so there are measures of, of performance. And what we wanted to get at was, in shorthand, what we call leadership style. But the reason it was coming up is because, as you can imagine, there are organizations based on their size and where they are and what's going on that are at very different places. So to give you an example, as you and I are recording this, we're at about two months in where FTX blew up, FTX, this major crypto exchange. And, and so entities around it went bust and 
There could be a million creditors around the world. It's terrible. Well, the court appointed a new leader, a, a CEO, and that person is clearly someone we would describe as fixer. Right. That leader has a long history. Uh, his name is John Ray. And prior to FTX, no surprise, he was at Enron, which in its time was one of the biggest business disasters. And so you can see in John Ray this kind of wiring, which is he needs to go into a burning building time after time. Mm -hmm. And it's a very different kind of energy and style from uh, many other leaders. Like, you know, we could we could go over examples of other kinds of folks more wired as artists or builder or strategists, but does that make sense? Absolutely. So yeah, indeed, Let, let's dive into the detail. But first I want to understand why four and not five or three? And are these four leadership style really different one to the other or do we find overlap between them? And then we'll get into the specificity for each one of them. It's a great question. The first thing that, that we want to be very clear on is we're not trying to pigeonhole anyone into only being one. Uh, all leaders call on all of their capabilities to do what they do and to be effective. So we would say that any effective leader is a mix. What we are saying is, is that we have seen a tendency among exceptional leaders to have a dominant particular kind of style, which becomes more pronounced and successful over time. And it could be there's a dominant and a secondary, but the flip side is never true, which is that someone is the best in the world at everything. That's impossible. So to, to, to give you a different kind of example. So Max, you and I are getting to know each other. I'm definitely coming to visit you in London. We meet at a restaurant and you're limping and your foot hurts. And if I know a great podiatrist in London, I'm going to recommend them to you. I am not going to recommend a cardiologist. I'm not going to uh, recommend a, a pulmonologist. I'm not going to do that. And you would think I was crazy if I did. So, you know, the, the past hundred years in healthcare and medicine has been this incredible advance. And it includes specialization, which is to the benefit of all of us mm -hmm. in terms of longevity and, and freedom from pain and happiness and all of the rest. And and yet in business, it is mostly an undifferentiated kind of thing where we think if someone has done one thing right, they can do anything right. And we tend to generalize more. And if they've amassed any money at it, oh my God, the world showers them with adulation and celebrity. And it is just not true that, that because that person did one uh, one thing right in the management of an organization or in business that they can do all things right. So we tend to generalize too much, tend to make too much of these folks. And, and it is something that we need to evolve a bit when it comes to business. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that. So let's try to look into them closely. Fixers, artists, builder, and uh, strategists. Let's start with the, the fixer. Who is a fixer? How do you define it? And how do one recognize that they are fixers? Fixer, as uh, the name implies, this is someone who is expert in turnaround in um, dealing with crisis in organizations. So the person that loves and needs to run into the burning building time after time. Now, the way we distinguish this 
is because, you know, all leaders are called upon to solve problems. Everyone has to, if you're going to be successful. The thing with the fixer is that's what they get their energy off of. And they need to keep doing that. So for example, you know, I help run a company, but I don't get my energy off of, of problems like, oh, goody, you know, more problems to solve. The fixer does. And so we'll go back to John Ray for a moment, which is, we have a phrase in the book, highest and best use. And what we would say is John Ray, appointed by the court as the new CEO of FTX, he's in his highest and best use solving the mess of FTX and previously having done Enron and other companies. So the distinguishing energy with Fixer is you need to keep doing that. Yeah. And if once you've proven to be successful as a Fixer, if you're put back into a steady state or maintenance mode at a organization, team, project, client, you're going to go crazy. Or as one of the leaders we interviewed said, you will start breaking things so that you have something else to fix. Yeah, I, I love that part of the book. Now, you it's true that once you do something, as you said, people start to generalize or they start to put some label on you. And as every leader has at some point to fix something, it could be that everybody starts to think that they can be fixers and then they're parachuted in some other uh, turnaround situation. But that not, might not be the the natural inclination or where they draw their energy. How could one make the difference and maybe get themselves more into their best and use if that was a different um, uh, element of the framework? Well, hindsight is twenty twenty. So this is very hard to do early in your career. This is something that becomes clearer as you're on the journey and you can look back and observe your own behavior and your own successes to see how it's going. And it's not going to work to compare yourself to anyone else. That's not a productive thing for any of us to do. But comparing to yourself, where was I a year ago? Where was I five years ago, 10 years ago? What was I doing? Uh, this is where we each tend to see patterns emerging. So, you know, with, with Fixer, we believe it is an energy that is discovered, if you will. It tends to be that someone earlier in their career, they're very smart, they're energetic, kind of undifferentiated. And someone sees them in an organization and says, you know, Max is doing a great job. We have this problem in another country or another division or another client relationship. He's smart. We can't solve this. Let's go throw Max at it. So you go in and it takes you six months. It takes you a year, two years, whatever it is, but you crush it. You absolutely solve the problem and you're hooked. And if you are hooked by that, boy, your organization better give you another problem because going back to the old thing, to the steady state, ain't going to work for you anymore. So it tends to be something that fixers discover over time in their careers as distinguished, we believe, from artists. Artist energy tends to be more something uh, we think which is a little bit hardwired. So a standout example of artist energy in the world today is Elon Musk. Uh, and I'm referring specifically to SpaceX, Tesla, the boring company. Uh, he needs this kind of parallel focus oxymoron, but he needs, he needs the distraction of more than one thing, which is a very common thing for artists, for creative driven leaders. The artist leader sees the world as a blank canvas or a piece of clay 
that they're going to mold. And that is somewhat of a, a style that can be to their detriment. I, I'm strongly wired as an artist leader. And what I mean by that is I can't stop thinking things up. And when, I found, when, when I'm with friends who have businesses, um, it's just a natural thing for me to, to instantly start thinking of new products and strategies and, and messages for them. It just keeps on happening, whether I want it or not. Artist energy can be at the peril of somebody's career and success. Uh, the artist on the team could be the renegade, the outsider. They're not necessarily the best liked person, but boy, can they come up with these kind of discontinuous uh, leaps in terms of where the organization or the team or the client needs to go. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And uh, I remember in the book, you know, some of the, the stories of leaders that that you gave, you know, they were quite telling. And uh, one would think that, you know, every leader, you know, strategy is part of, of the leader's role. Well, so you need that creativity to to come up with new ideas and and uh, even in problem solving, you need you need you need that sense. But I think here you you you're talking something more than that, not just around on the business or the day job. It's also what happened in their life as a whole and how that manifests itself outside of work. Is that right? Yes, there there is a, there's absolutely a tendency that it, it's an, another Zen expression. How you do anything is how you do everything. Right. I say that because when we we're preparing this podcast, you made a bold affirmation at the beginning uh, about which type of style will suit will suit me so i went back listening to the book and i think you probably got it right um but i was struggling with with the creative part of artists because you know that's where you think i will i will fall uh i'm i'm, I'm a cfo i'm an accountant by training i don't think it's the most creative uh, uh, uh trade in the world you have to follow the rules but then I, I see what you mean about being an artist leader. Well, and this is for you. And so so for all your listeners, when we prior conversation, we were talking and I said, I, I'm sure that you at least have some artist energy in you, um, not to the exclusion of the others, not to say it was your dominant, um, but based on your creativity, uh, you know, even even though your formal role as CFO granted tends to be very, very rules, rules based. And yet here you are doing these creative things, including the podcast. Because of your role at your company and what you're doing there, you, you have very strong fixer energy. Yes. And that, if I look at the last two assignments, that's what I'll be mostly be doing. Right, right. Um, and uh, in terms of the builder, what characterize the builder? Builder is the energy which takes the nascent or the new product serve or small product service team to some kind of market domination or scale. For the builder, their mantra is market domination. That is what they must achieve. And I, I know everyone in business, we all love this builder labor. We're all builders. We get that. We mean something specific around builder energy, which is 
what you tend to see with this as primary energy is that when that builder has built product service team company to some kind of market domination, could be an IPO, could be a point of sale, you will tend to see that leader go back and want to do it again. You won't tend to see that person stick around where the organization is now, to use Stephen Covey's phrase, beyond their personal span of control. So Stephen Covey, the, the phrase personal span of control, it had, has to do with trust and personal relationships. A lot of fixers, artists, and builders in their roles, those teams are five people, 10 people, 50 people, maybe 100, but they know each other. And the contrast there is with strategist. Strategist is the leadership energy and style that is within complex organization or at vast scale. And there, that form of leadership is very different. And the language used by their, those kinds of leaders is very different from fixer, art, artist, and builder. The language of strategist, a lot of it is around loyalty to the organization, being mentored and mentoring, being cross-trained. Uh, and rising really within an organization, uh, the, the expertise and the styles around fixer, artist, and builder can be much more, uh, well, their careers can look more like a jungle gym as opposed to a ladder or a stairway. Right. And it's not to judge or say they're not advancing, but it's a very different uh, kind of career and different kind of, of tool set that is needed. One of the strategist leaders we interviewed, uh, Dr. Janine Davidson, um, and she was on the uh, audio you heard, uh, described what it was like to be, at one point she was the undersecretary of the Department of Defense. And what it is like in terms of influencing, to use your word, Max, systems of systems uh, is a very different leadership experience. Um, from the other three styles. Yeah, absolutely. As to your previous question, why are there four as opposed to three or five? You got me. And we launched, you know, this free assessment, FABS, F-A-B-S, FABS Leadership Assessment to test and to prove or disprove uh, what we believe about each of these four styles. Yeah, absolutely. I think we'll be... What what I find fascinating, as you say, you know, it gives it gives a, a framework for leaders to to see what where they where they draw their energy from, and and you know inform um how they go about the assignment that they take or not take, and I guess that's going to be my next question. You know, in your company, interim exec, you know, you are exposed to demand from all over the world, and I guess your framework will help you understand how, which leaders will be best suited to which assignment. What would you say are challenging challenges, most most uh, important challenges facing leaders today? And, and uh, which aspect of the leadership style, you know, they need to draw on more these days? One of the problems, I'd love to hear your take on this, but I think distraction is epidemic. And, uh, you have to be uh, very disciplined as an effective leader, you know, in terms of guarding your focus and your attention. And, you know, we're all holding, I'm, I'm holding up my phone here for folks who aren't seeing this, 
you know, um, more challenged more now than, than we've ever been. In some ways, you would think, well, society keeps advancing and there's transparency and so many of these online tools and you and I can see each other max and and so things should just be continually getting better and and they're not or it's not a given that that is the case and so leadership um being a great leader is as challenging now I think as it's ever been and in some ways more so because uh because technology is so pervasive in our lives and our companies a lot of the role models that we see at large tech companies are not necessarily great leaders that that the reliance on technology within their own companies is meant to be a bit of a substitute for management for what was traditionally known you know as leadership in terms of nurturing and mentoring people working for you and within the organization and that's more challenged now than it was before and yet we're still human and trying to do better and, and technology is not caught up with that not fully and we see that with all the hype from uh, ChatGPT and uh, how Google, yes. do not name them, but try to race in. Oh, it's, it's, it, look, it's very tempting. Yeah. You know, the, the manager might have had a non-accretive role before because a manager of a unit could be walking around and talking to people and saying, how you doing today? And that's a mostly useless activity. Well, if you just swap in AI, uh, you know, on the surface. And so there's measurement of that person in terms of how productive are they are they being on the on the surface of it. It may th seem like, well, that's a great idea, but it's not necessarily more effective or results in more productivity. But that, that will also, I, I think, um, accelerate or in, increase further the, the advantage of great leader, people with great competencies, because they are able to use the tool as an enabler, whereas people who might be weak in the way or not fully uh, mastering their their, their 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 skills or their their art, then they must struggle to take advantage of it, and that could widen the gaps. You know, as as we're talking, Max, you're reminding me of of something we did in the book, which is we asked all of these leaders, what kind of habits do you have? You're, you know, they're all very successful. We ask them, what kind of habits do you have that you think have contributed to this? And we got back some very practical answers. We got back some, some answers that were very funny. So for example, one of the fixers we interviewed, he said, well, listen, I'll tell you one thing is we don't make major decisions on Friday afternoons. Right. And that sounds like such a, such an old school, you know, thing in a way, because like, well, you're not all in the same office or whatever. But he, he said, even when you're all remote, people do gear up for the weekend in a way, you know, uh, the, the soccer, the soccer game, you're going to take your kid to or whatever. And so if you've, if you've instituted something major, and then you have to fix it because it breaks in the next day or two, you know, don't go do that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there were a lot of very uh, human hacks that we heard uh, that were practical. You know, Christy Hefner, the former chairman of Playboy Enterprises, she said that she insisted that everyone in a meeting had to voice an opinion, had to. And it had to be before her because of course everyone, she's a commanding presence. 
And everyone might have thought, well, she's just going to go make this decision. And she she wanted to be far more inclusive than that. I'll give you one final one, which I thought was funny that uh, a woman who owns a large therapy practice, uh, hundreds of physical therapists and and uh, in school systems. And we asked, you know, what kind of habits she has as a leader. And she said, well, I'll tell you, I've got my angry swim. Like, what do you mean an angry swim? She said, well, you know, if I know I'm going to have to like have a bad conversation with a lawyer, she said first she would get into the pool and she would swim her frustration out. And so then she could just have a rational conversation. Right. Yeah. I thought that was great. <laughs> Excellent. So managing the energy as a whole. And yeah. um, you, you talked, we, we, we mentioned it uh, earlier about you know, the need to develop next generation of leaders what would you say companies should do to develop their leaders well th this speaks to a bias we have which is um having more authentic conversations is a good thing um we're we're trying to put out something to the world as a, a small piece of self-learning self-improvement which is around your style your own particular leadership style. And that's great when you learn it, but what's the next thing you ought to do? We believe that is take it back into the organization as a point of conversation. That the more I know, for example, about you, Max, and, and what drives you, um, the more I can help you. If we're on the same team together and we want the team to excel collectively, the more, the better we collaborate the better off we all are. And so the more you know about me and my style and how I'm wired, that ought to be great. And that ought to be additive and accretive to the team and the same for you. So we want to encourage what creates more collaboration um, and that's going to help develop the next generation of leaders. Not just develop, but develop the right way. Absolutely. No, I, I can see what, and the application for that. Now, you know, at Interim Exec, you place leaders into roles. And I think that I'm interested to hear your take on one area of leadership that I think is very important, but most companies don't do enough uh, around. That is supporting the leaders during transitions. I have seen great leaders, high potential, flying through the ranks, to be dismissed at some point because I, in my view, the transition to a, a more a larger role or an assignment did not take place properly. And I read some survey around the fact that about 50% of executive transition end up as a failure within 24 months. What do you think is a secret for leaders to be successful when they transition to a new role? The first thing I would say here is, is um, I, I don't want to take the question lightly or, or give a pat answer. I think that it's always inside of us, for starters. It, it's not an external circumstance that first hits us. It, it's what's inside of us. What it reminds me of, we, we did this book, Right Leader, Right Time, and we had a prior book called How They Did It. And it was a series of 45 interviews with champion company founders, as we said, from the heartland of the US. Um, and these were phenomenal people 
uh, collectively, they had grown organizations from zero to about $60 billion in value. And one of the leaders we interviewed, he had taken uh, his tech company from a couple people to 2000. And I asked him a question at one point, how did you do that? It, it's great, but it's a form of chaos. And he said, you have to stay at the center. And what he meant is the center of you. Um, so, so the transition for an executive who is advancing can be just as traumatic as for someone who is not doing well. And the first obligation we each have is, is that there has to be this commitment to yourself in terms of uh, what, what has you grounded and what has you centered, no matter what the external circumstances are. And this sounds so easy or obvious, but I think it's lacking uh, for most of us. And, uh, you know, the corollary, the corollary to that, um, having daughters and nieces and nephews and all of that is, is um, really good thing. Start your day and just breathe. Yeah. If you could just collect yourself for 90 seconds and notice your breathing and think about your day and what your plan is, you're going to be ahead of the game. Absolutely. No, that, that's, I absolutely relate to that. And uh, I've been moving through roles several times throughout my career. And it's true that for me, the first step is yourself and your family. And I've seen time and time again that that's part of the reason of the failure during the transition. And I make sure that I plan in advance those breathing moments, you know, those, because it's going, I know it's going to be intense. So I need to have those moments uh, planned out. Yes, and, and, and this ties in, you know, yeah. this ties in powerfully with, with, with two things: mission and ritual. Because because if you personally, your organization hopefully has a mission that you can buy into and that that has genuineness and authenticity, not just talk, you, you know. Um, but but more than even the mission of the organization is what is your mission. What is, it, what is it that you stand for most? What, are, what do you most value? That has to be bedrock inside of you. And that then can lead to good forms of ritual, to habits mm -hmm. that are going to reinforce it, no matter your external circumstances or what the crisis of the moment is. So the story of the woman who had the angry swim, it's a funny story. The ritual backing it up is, is that she had time she reserved to herself to exercise. Great. And Great. and all of us as leaders, we we need we need that sense of balance. It, it cannot be that the on switch is on all the time. That's impossible. So Bob, we are getting close to the end of our conversations, and they are a number of typical questions I like to ask uh, the guests in our podcast. First one would be if there were three books that you recommend our audience, what would they be? Well, I know you're not going to let me say my own, which is fine. I I recommend that absolutely. And I think it's, it's right that it's the first book that we recommend indeed. Well, I appreciate it. I, I'm a big fan. I do a lot of reading, so this could be an endless list, but I'll, I'll say a few. Uh, David Brooks wrote a book called Second Mountain. It is about if you consider kind of the metaphor of a first mountain is what you do in career, which is around money and, and status and success. And these are necessary things. I'm not discounting them, 
then there's a point in career, hopefully, where it becomes about significance and meaning. And I found that very powerful, and especially these concepts he brings up around commitment and calling. And, and like you, Max, I do a lot of audio, uh, a lot of audible. And as I was walking around listening to this, I realized I've been at what I've been doing so many years. I'm, I'm committed to it. It's, it, it's a business. So, you know, money's around it, but it's not about the money anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm compelled to do this because this is what I'm supposed to do. So I thought that was uh, remarkable. Um, it's a little dated uh, in terms of its language, but I think that the message around the book by Ogmandino, um, it's called World's Greatest Salesman. And if the word salesman offends anybody, then I would say replace it with some close word that, that is gender neutral. But there's a message coming out. It's, it's, it's meant to be a parable a 2000 year old story, um, but it is, it's a success kind of uh, manual, I think, unlike uh, anything else. The other just book I'd give a shout out to is that my, uh, I had a partner named Jim Camp and uh, he passed away a few years ago, but uh, he was probably the foremost negotiation coach in the world. And um, uh, he wrote a book called Start With No. And it's a bit of a harsh title, but it is for anybody in business, I think the greatest um, uh, uh, system manual for how to become a better uh, negotiator. And I had a hand in that book, so it's not an unbiased thing, but I think it's incredible, especially if, if you want to get a thorough grounding and mission and purpose. Absolutely. You know, one of my favorite quotes is, Yes, got you out of Egypt. No, will take you to the promised land. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. There's one question I like to ask all the guests, which is, you do a lot of interviews, a podcast, uh, and um, you get asked a lot of questions. What is one question that, people don't ask you or that you wish I had asked you today and how would you have answered it? Oh my God, you're, you're <laughs> the, the impossible question with, with, the, with the unknown answer. Where I'm going with this, Max, is that the world, the world is in some ways, you know, in the midst of so many crises. And, and what is it, you know, we're going to do to go solve that. Does that make sense? What would be the answer to the question? It is, I, I feel the sense of, uh, of um, oblig obligation or that we have to put energy that you and I are both blessed uh, with successful careers and family. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, in a way you could say you got the world by the, you know, the world by the tail mm -hmm. and it's great. And so is there more or, or what is that more? Because there's, there is still so much need in the world. There's, there's clearly so much more that can be done, but I don't have an answer to it. Okay. Yeah. Here's, here's what I would say, because I'm now discovering this as we're, as we're talking, the, the world has so much of what it considers formula for leadership. 
And yet there's still so many problems in the world. Um, or maybe we keep on making bigger problems because we're all ambitious. And and what is the obligation? How do we how do we take that on to go solve it? And you know, as you were going through it, what came to my mind is what you mentioned earlier with the book, The Second Mountain. I think there's something in there about being fixated on the first mountain and that what we think about all the time. And by the time we get to the top, you don't have time to consider the second. And maybe it's shifting the order and or bringing them together and climbing that mountain with with uh, with purpose. Maybe that's the answer. But everyone will make their own answer. So what would be your final message or what final message do you have for our listener today? Well, for sure, to to get back to the, the practicality of our conversation on leadership, uh, especially for people earlier on in their careers, is, is that exceptional leaders reject what is not for their highest and best use. And so the challenge we all have um, but earlier on in career, it's easy to say, hard to do, is uh, the more that you can discern that which is really great for you as opposed to all the rest, the better. Because if you can gently both get yourself into situations, organizations, and projects where you get more of that and, and less of the other that, that is not really floating your boat, the better. Excellent. Thank you very much, Bob. Thank you for writing this wonderful book. I recommend everyone to go and read Right Leader, Right Time. It's a fascinating read. I, I just listened to it in one sitting. I was going on the long drive and uh, back and forth. It was, it was really, really great. So thank you very much for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you, Max. I'm honored to be with you. Thank you. This was the Maxiao Leadership Podcast. Thank you for joining us. To listen to future episodes, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Until next time, keep being the leader everybody trusts and respects.